Melissa seems like one of those rare folks who wants to adopt multiple children at once, especially foster children in the U.S. with siblings and don't want to be separated. After her first traumatic first adoption experience, we're talking about having to fight for her rights to maintain a stable home for a special needs child. She decided to turn to private adoption. Now, that wasn't easy either. There's the waiting and the disappointment at not being picked. Once, she was in competition with four other families to adopt a girl with a heart defect. I thought to myself, you know, I'm a girl. I'm a nurse by trade. There are four pediatric hospitals in the Twin Cities area where I live. Who wouldn't pick me? And then when they chose the other family, I just sobbed. So not only was she, in her own words, hemorrhaging money, but she had to deal with the mental anguish of waiting for a child that she desperately wanted to adopt. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Melissa Becker, a medical consultant, comes on the show to talk about her experience adopting four children, two from the foster care system and two through private agencies. She chats about how much she spent, her mental health during that time, and what she's most thankful for throughout the whole ordeal. Stick around to the end where I'm going to distill some takeaways from her conversation, including how you can save thousands of dollars by doing one simple thing when you feel overwhelmed. And spoiler alert, part of that is getting clear on your values, you know, what's truly important to you. Now, I've helped thousands of folks through this process on honing in on what matters and how it can guide you in your financial life and beyond. So to grab their free guide, head to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Now, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Melissa, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. So excited to have you on today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to talk about adoption. So let's go over your experience with adoptions. You've adopted all four children, is that correct? Correct. I started looking at adoption kind of later in the story than probably I should have. Otherwise, I would have adopted more kids. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I've kind of learned things along the way. I started out looking at foster care adoption because I got a mailing from the local county agency saying that there were all these children, especially sibling groups that needed a permanent home. And so knowing nothing about it, I just put an addition on my house so I could take a sibling group of kids. And I just thought the fantasy of it's all going to work out and it, you just put an application in and boy, all these kids are going to come your direction. And for me, once I put the addition on the house and I filled out all the application and the home study and everything, I kind of sat for like eight months with crickets sounding and there were no placements till finally I got my first placement of a 14-month-old child through foster care. And then at that time, I was looking solely to adopt. But one of the challenges with looking at foster care adoption is that at any point they can decide to pursue a reunification with birth mom or they could choose to pursue permanency with relatives. And so after eight months of having her in my home, they decided to terminate parental rights on the birth mother and they were going to have me adopt. But then a relative came out of the woodwork. And then for another eight months, then I had to fight for custody of her until that relative decided that they did not want to pursue permanency. And then I was allowed to adopt her. And then after having gone through that traumatic experience of having a child for 18 months, and then they may leave and you may not be able to keep them, I thought, 
I can't do that again. My heart's not strong enough for that. So I started to look into private adoption and that took a while to be able to accumulate funding and saving to be able to pursue private adoption. In terms of fighting for custody, did you have to come up with your own lawyer's fees? Yes. What happens in the foster care situation is initially the county supported me adopting the child until a very, very distant relative came into the picture. And then they always prefer family first. And so at that time, she had a lot of special needs, a lot of behavioral issues and mental health issues and a lot of challenges. And so I then spent money originally to talk to experts to say, what is in her best interest? Should I pursue permanency with me? Should I let her go to this relative? And after consulting with a lot of experts in the field, it was sort of determined that it was in her best interest to stay with me. So then I had to hire a private attorney and we had to make motions with the court to get party status so we could have a say in what was going on in the case and he could file motions. And and then we had to pay for attachment assessments and parenting assessments and In total, that one came to about $17,000, and I simply paid all of that out of pocket. Wow. Okay. That is intense. What was your experience like with the first private adoption that you went through? Well, I originally didn't think that I was ever going to be able to afford adoption because being a single person looking into adoption, adoption is a business. And at the risk of offending anybody, That's how I talk about it because you have to have that mindset in when you're looking at this. The commodity that you are paying for is a child and you are paying for access to birth moms to choose you. So when you go to a private adoption agency, you have to look at what agency fits your needs. And for me, being in Minnesota, most of the birth moms in Minnesota want a two-parent family. So if I wanted to be considered for adoption, I needed to go to an agency that placed a lot of kids with single parents and maybe had a larger birth mom pool for them to see my profile to choose me. So if there were more birth moms at a different agency, I'd have a greater likelihood of them maybe choosing me to be the one to adopt their child. So when you do any kind of adoption, you first have to have a home study, whether you do a foster care adoption, a domestic adoption, or an international adoption. It all starts with the basics of finding an agency to do a home study for you. So I went with a local agency and then the the costs start breaking down. So you first have to put in an application fee where you fill out some paperwork and you write a check for a certain amount of money. I think it was five to $800 I had to write initially and fill out paperwork for them to even see whether you qualify or have any reasons why you would not qualify to getting a home study. Once they look at that paperwork, then they say, okay, now you need to do a home study. So then you need to pay, at least with Sienna, the first one, was $1,900 non-refundable plus background study of 75, fingerprinting, and all that had to be done before anything else happened. So then you go through the criminal background and you get a home study written. And then I took that home study and I had to find, for me, an out-of-state agency then that would have the pool of birth moms that would consider single parent. So I took all that home study information And I worked with an agency in another state that was very adoption friendly, very large number of adoptions. They did between two and 300 adoptions a year versus Minnesota agency, which at the highest had 50 adoptions a year. So I thought my likelihood of being chosen was higher. So now when you work with an agency that's going to match you up with birth moms, then you again have to pay application fees. Then you pay processing fees. Then they have things like case activation fees, and then finally an agency fee. So there's a lot of different terms that agencies use 
to itemize their costs. And you have to look at each agency because they there's no standardized language that says, okay, there's just a agency fee. They break it down as a way to sort of lure you in saying, hey, our agency fee is only 5000 But yet by the time you get the case activation and the processing and application, you're still up to 20000 So most agencies at a minimum start with a $20,000 total amount that you end up paying to that agency. And then once you're active with that agency, they do send you what they call adoption situations based on what your criteria are. So in my situation, I wanted a girl. So that narrows the pool down automatically as to what cases or situations they send my way. And then I had a financial amount between this much and that much. And so then they don't show me the cases that are higher than that. So then what I would get email with the cost breakdowns for various situations. And so then you start looking at the next set of charges or fees that you have to pay, which are called birth parent expenses. And every agency in every state dictates what kind of birth parent expenses can be paid. In the state I went to, they were certainly a lot more liberal. So things that, that were paid were rent and utilities, groceries, airfare, living expenses, and each situation had a different itemization for each of those. And the one I ended up being matched with was 9400 And then once you have those birth parent expenses, you then pay all this up front. And of that birth parent expenses, there's a certain amount of it that's at risk. And what that means is that you have paid the agency this money, and the agency has then paid for rent and utilities, airfare and living expenses to the birth mom themselves. So if the birth mom then chooses to parent the child, the agency's not out that money. You as the prospective adoptive is out that money. And then once the baby's born, depending on where they're born and what type of insurance the birth mom does or does not have, you usually pay medical expenses for the baby. And sometimes you can also then pay them for the birth mom. So on top of the $9,000 in birth parent expenses, I ended up paying close to $8,000 for medical between mom and baby. So for her, getting to that point was a significant amount that when you look at the paperwork, it says, oh, it's only $28,000 total. But then by the time you got done with everything, it came up much higher. For my first private adoption, the total was $37,000. For my second private, it was $45,000 because she had a lot more birth parent expenses. Right. Gosh, that sounds intense. Uh, Two things I want to mention is like, it sounds really overwhelming. Like, Were you aware of all these breakdown of the costs when you started looking at agencies or was that something that you learned as you went along the process? I really learned a lot as I went along because you don't write one check. You write a check and then another check later and then another check later. The law, um, I think, stipulates they can only charge you when a certain step has been provided, a certain service has been provided. So as you go along, you just write these checks and then there's time in between each check you've written because it takes a while to look at the application, to process it, to now put the case active, and then you're not paying the agency fee until you are matched with a birth mom. And so that can take various periods of time. And in between all of these adoptions, I also had a failed adoption and I was already out $6,000 on that adoption. That was not refundable. Did you have to do another home study if it failed and you just start that process over again? Or how does that work with the agency then? A home study is good for one year. So in my case, I don't believe I had to update my home study. When you have a home study, if you haven't been chosen yet and that home study hasn't been used for an adoption or matched with an adoption, you then have to do 
you an update. So between my first private adoption and my second private adoption, the second private adoption took a long time to be matched with someone. And so it went a year past when I'd done my homestay. So I had to pay my agency in Minnesota an update fee. Mm, And I I can see how the process can be, I don't want to say demoralizing. I mean, the anticipation for a child and you're paying all this money. I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, for you, when you apply and you're waiting and you're writing checks and you're waiting, like what? Do you remember anything that was really going through your mind at that time? Oh my gosh, I can't believe how much money I'm spending. I felt like I was hemorrhaging money. Once you're matched, you really start to feel like you're hemorrhaging money because then the big checks come along. For me, once you had paid the money for the home studies and and were waiting to be matched with someone, that's money you've put down and you don't think about it because it's done. And with the first adoption that had failed, I ended up switching agencies. So I got all my agency money back minus the 5000 in birth parent expenses. I took that agency money and had to start over with a new agency and then was actually matched two days later with a birth mom. And then she gave birth like a week later. It just kind of fell into place. I was one of four families she was talking to. So I think she chose me on a Monday and she went into labor Thursday night and the baby was born Friday. Oh, wow. So it can be quick, <laughs> but it depends on, I suppose, luck <laughs> is what I, I guess the lesson of that is. <laughs> and for me, the part that was terrifying about that was because now I didn't have time to save or prepare for these expenses. I was sort of in a panic trying to come up with the money. And thankfully for me, the financial institution I was with kind of helped me out last minute with some lines of credit and a credit card and a personal line of credit to be able to quickly go and get her. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear that. So I do want to talk about the money aspect of it, because for some people, the numbers that you're just throwing out seems insane, you know, really high. And for people who may not even earn that much money in a year and they're looking into adoption that just seems like a really like a barrier right so what what was your experience in other than getting lines of credits and all that to get money for your adoptions I went and looked up, and this was back in 2011 was the first private adoption that I did. Went and looked up what kind of financing there was. Now, in the eight years since then, there's been a lot more financing available than what there was at that time. But there was a huge packet that I received. I downloaded it from my agency that listed all the places you could apply to for grants and help offset some of the funding costs. And each of those sources have different requirements. I found as a single person, my options for financial support were really limited. A lot of the religious ones wanted to have a marriage family situation. Others had real strict criteria that I didn't fit in. And one of the great ones that I came across was gift of adoption, because gift of adoption just wants you to adopt. And so with the first child that was a private adoption, I just filled out. And at that point, I'd paid so much money. I just said, I just need some help with the finalization fees. You know, here, just put a Band-Aid on the hemorrhaging of money that I've got. And at that time, I think I got, I think, a 1000 or $1,500 to help offset the legal fees that I needed to pay to finalize the adoption. And she actually took a long time to finalize because it took me a while to pay off some of the expenses And you have to have everything paid off and up to date before you can then finalize. And so it was very, very helpful for gift of adoption to come in at the last minute going, we got the legal fees for you so that I could finally finalize the adoption and have her legally secured mine. That's awesome. So how long would you say it took from filling out everything to getting the money? For gift of adoption? Yeah. And that one particular. Really quick. Because what you do is they ask where you're at in the process. And what they do is once they've gotten your application and request for grant 
money, depending on when you are adopting the child, the child's going to be placed with you or when you're going to travel and those kind of things they put you on the list for review. And so I was able to get on the list quickly for each of the times that I've I've asked for adoption grants because the children were placed with me real quickly. And in Minnesota, you can finalize after 90 days. And so I filled out, this is when the child is coming. They got me in a, a certain month's review. I got a letter like the next day after the committee meets and says, here's how much we're going to give you. And then they they send you an award letter. And then it tells you how you go about getting the grant money paid. And in my situation, because it was applying to legal fees, all I needed to do was to submit to them an itemization from my attorney as to what the costs were, and they cut a check right to the attorney. So I had to do nothing. Did you go to any other nonprofits or places to help you get more grants? I went to every, I applied to probably eight of them that I qualified for, and I was turned down by everyone except for gift of adoption. And the part for me that was kind of sad is that I'm Catholic, and I even applied to the Catholic ones. And because I was not married, they discriminate against that aspect and said, you're not married. We we don't support Catholic single women adopting in, in terms of the grants, and so I got no money. So I found it sort of ironic that every week I donate money to the Catholic Church, but when I came to apply for a Catholic grant, I was turned down. Right. That's a discussion for another time, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate the insight into that. And for anyone listening, I will link to Gift of Adoption and the other organizations if that's what you're interested in. So I am curious, I know you went, so first was the foster adoption, you went to private, and then you met, went back to adopting a foster child. So what prompted that decision? Well, I did the first private adoption, or excuse me, the first foster adoption, because I went into it thinking I wanted to adopt a sibling group. I wanted to be part of the solution. And they said they had a lot of sibling groups that they needed to make placements and no one wanted to adopt a sibling group. They all wanted to maybe adopt one child. So that's how I originally got into it. And then after having fought the county and the Department of Human Services and the state of Minnesota for custody, I was pretty beat up and bruised and thought, okay, I'm not doing that again, and did two private adoptions. First, I was amazed I could pay off the legal fees for the first foster adoption. It took me five years to pay that off and then save up money to be in a position to do the first private adoption. And then my work just happened to be doing really well, and I paid off number two and then saved up and, and got ready for number three, which was a private adoption. And then once I totaled all the numbers up, kind of went, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent all this money. I'm never going to have the money to come up with another $40,000 roughly for another private adoption just didn't seem realistic. And so then I turned back to foster care because I still had the itch to do a sibling group. And I thought I would do a sibling group of two kids. But foster care adoption could be a whole nother podcast for us to talk about the pitfalls, the trials and tribulations of that. And we had a trial placement that they said was ready for adoption. And then it wasn't, and they started reunifying. And so my kids were all prepared for kids to stay forever. And then, you know, we had to give the kids back. And so I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm just done. And then it turns out that I got notified that my youngest daughter's brother came into foster care down in Texas. And so when I thought I was done, then here's this child in foster care in Texas. And normally it would not have cost me any money, except that I was at the private agency who places in foster care. So I had to pay to update my home study and, and do some expenses that way for him. But in terms of agency fees, there's no agency fee. I did have to pay for or will have to finish paying for attorney finalization fees once the time has lapsed and I can finalize an adoption here. 
And that's when I went back to gift of adoption and said, okay, I've hemorrhaged a lot of money. I need help one more time. Can you help me with attorney fees this last time? And received probably the largest grant and it's going to cover the legal fees for him. So at this point, I'm just waiting to get the itemization from my attorney and then gift of adoption. We'll cut a check for that and then I'll be done. So throughout all this, I mean, it's obviously been a number of years. Has your work been flexible in terms of okay, you need to go last minute and fly to the state to meet the birth mom and all of that? Or was that also something of a challenge as well? Well, I work for myself. I'm self-employed. And so that's an even bigger challenge of being able to adopt because I do consulting work and self-employed. What I'm selling is me and my brain and the way I think. And so there's not always a guarantee of income. And so that's why coming up with the money for these adoptions has always just amazed me, but the work has just always come in. And so for me, Being able to take off work wasn't as much of a problem as maybe someone who works at a a specific company, although you can get family medical leave now to cover all that stuff, whereas when you work for yourself, you don't. For me, the hardest part was because private adoption one and private adoption two came so quick. In my last private adoption, I was matched on a Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday evening, made travel arrangements Thursday because the baby was set to be born Friday. So I was matched. And then within 24 hours, I was on an airplane to the out-of-state delivery. And I was there for the delivery of my youngest daughter. And so last minute daycare, last minute, how can we get everyone to school? Who's going to watch the kids? Who's letting the dogs out? That was more of the challenge for me than getting off work. And then when you're out of state, you you plan anywhere from one to two weeks out there before you can come back home because there's a lot of paperwork that has to be done between sending states and receiving states and giving permission for children to move from one state to another. So besides the grants and the flexibility in your schedule, what would you say you're the most grateful for throughout all of your adoptions? I think the thing I'm I'm the most grateful for is my support system and family that was able to step in, especially the last minute and watch the kids. Once you've had several children at that time, I had two kids by the time I did my third adoption. And so trying to coordinate them and making sure their needs are met while I'm off doing the newest adoption by myself was really a team effort. And so that's what I'm most thankful for is having people that could step in and do that. If someone were listening right now and they are considering going through this process or the you know whether it's a private adoption, foster adoption and they're really just nervous about the emotional aspect of it, what would you want to tell them? I would tell them that's probably the hardest part. With foster care adoption, that probably is the most emotional because there's so many ups and downs and last minutes and uncertainties to that. There are children within the foster care system who are legally free for adoption, meaning parental rights have been terminated. They're just looking for a permanent home. A lot of those children come with a lot of challenges, behavioral, mental health, so that can bring its own peace with it. And so I had a, uh, the first child I had was like that. So then when you do private adoption, the tough part is, is who's going to pick me? My first private adoption happened quickly and I was surprised. The second private adoption took a long time and I really started to get disappointed. Now, I'm a nurse by trade, pediatric ICU background in my training. And I remember at Christmas time before my youngest was matched and born, I remember being on a trip with a friend of mine and it came down to a situation where a birth family was going to choose between another family and myself. And the child that both of us families were bidding for was a child with a serious heart condition called Tetralogy of Fallot. And that's where a child has four heart defects. So you think it's not a perfect child, who's going to want it? And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a nurse by trade, 
There are four pediatric hospitals in the Twin Cities area where I live. Who wouldn't pick me? And then when they chose the other family, I just sobbed. And I thought, if I can't be picked for a medically fragile child with heart problems, no one's ever going to pick me. And I remember just being in a really big funk. And I thought, maybe this is just not meant to be. And I was really sad. And then a month and a half later, then I was chosen by a birth mom for my youngest daughter. And then that happened, like I say, within 24 hours. But there was a really big period of time where I was just sad that no one picked me. At first, it was financial. They were just way too expensive situations. And then when I did have situations I could afford, they didn't pick me. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I teared up a little bit. I'm not going to (laughs) lie hearing that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your honest account and all the numbers. Yeah, thank you for so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you. If there's people that have questions about how do we choose an agency, how do we figure out what's the best place for us, you know, I don't know if they can be linked to an email address through you to get to me with questions or something, but I, I love to talk about adoption. I love to share all the experience I've had of all the situations I've looked at and how I chose the situations that I was willing to be shown and those kind of things. I, I love to talk about it. And I'd be happy to answer any questions for anyone. Great. I have your email address. I'll put that in the show notes for everyone who wants to email Melissa. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Melissa. Just so much insights onto the adoption process in the U.S., right? whether it's through private or foster care. So I hope you got a lot out of that. Now, the biggest takeaway, I guess is pretty obvious, is that, hey, it costs a lot to adopt a child. If you think about it now, in another episode, Andrew Wong came on to talk about international adoption. So he ended up adopting a child from Taiwan. I think he said about $30,000. Now, this was about 10-ish years ago. So with Melissa, I think for her, it cost about 30, 40 grand per adoption for private ones. And if you recall, for the first adoption, she ended up having to pay, I think, about like 17 grand in lawyer's fees just to get the child back into her custody because that can unfortunately happen is where when you're adopting a foster child, if the birth parents or any relative want to basically get the child back, they have the legal rights to do so. So it can cost a lot. It's an extremely overwhelming process, as you can tell. Now, you know, luckily for Melissa, she was able to go through a nonprofit called the Gift of Adoption to get some grants to offset some of the costs, right? Like she said, stop hemorrhaging money. Now for her, unfortunately for her experience, she didn't get grants at other organizations, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try for those as well. So if you're in that position where you want to adopt either a foster child or through a private adoption, whether it's in the US or elsewhere in the world, I will put some links in the show notes. So beyondthedollar.co slash 71. I will try my best to add some international resources as well if I can come across those. Takeaway for those who aren't going to adopt or haven't considered it is overall, anything that involves lots of steps or lots of money will have lots of paperwork and probably multiple fees. So some of the most immediate things you can think about are healthcare, buying a car, right? Like when you sit down at a dealership, they're going to try to sell you all these upgrades. So those can cost a lot of money, right? It can be tens of thousands of dollars, especially if you're going to the hospital and have to get a procedure done, right? And when things get complicated, it's really easy to not want to deal with. And I've 
totally been there with a lot of it. I remember when I closed on my house, there were all these fees. We ended up having to get a new car because it broke down. I mean, it was an it was insane time. And I wanted to defer it to my husband. But if you don't take proactive steps, right, whether it's just even asking a simple question of getting an itemized bill, it can come at the cost of paying lots of money, going through lots of complicated process and just getting more overwhelmed throughout all of it. And so I encourage you that if you're going through a long process or you are or will, really focus on your mental health. And so if you're going to adopt, if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to buy a car, before you even go into medical procedures, educate yourself first before taking steps. And listeners, if you've been around with me for a while, you know that I advocate asking questions as many as you need until you think you understand what's going on. No question is too small or too big. It's not too stupid. Professionals who want to help you will walk you through the process. And there are lots of organizations that will help you as well. Now, my challenge for you is to look at paperwork. Okay. So if you're going to adopt, then look at what you might be paying. If you're not, I encourage you to look at maybe your insurance paperwork. So if you have a home, your home insurance policy. If you have health insurance, then your health insurance policy. Take a look at something called deductible. So the deductible is basically what you're gonna have to pay out of pocket before the insurance kicks in. I would even encourage you to look at what's covered. Are there any terms you don't understand? If you don't, guess what? You can call customer service and get them clarified. So it takes maybe 10 minutes to go through that. And I encourage you to do that. And if you do, if you need questions, you know where I am. Email me, hello at beyondthedollar.co or get on Instagram at beyondthedollar. One final thing, if you do want to talk to Melissa, right, she says her inbox is open for those who are interested in adopting in the US, please go to beyondthedollar.co. I'll leave her email address there so you can contact her directly. All right, until next time. Thank you so much for listening and on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. So tag them on Instagram when I post Beyond the Dollar or send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, feel free to download the Value Space Spending Guide. So what it is, is you're going to be able to gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values and how we can start putting money towards those things. So to download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. So thank you again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, thank you to Donovan Durant again for providing this awesome theme song.